0: ended last time talking about martin luther and and the uh, progress he was making in the idea of going back to the bible and standing up against uh the uh, uh the Catholic Church for the things that they were doing and uh we talked about this man by the name of John Eck who was opposing Luther and who uh had this public debate and uh uh, talking about uh, the things that um, Martin Luther had embraced, this Hussism or Hussism, and we, we mentioned what that was. It was a movement by John Huss, and it was in defiance of uh, Catholic uh, doctrine and teaching, and, and, of course, he was named a heretic. And X whole, uh, John X's whole purpose, when he uh, spoke with someone or had a public debate with someone, was to in some way be able to get them to agree to the doctrines of John Huss. He was already an avowed, or a, was labeled a heretic, and so if he could connect whoever his opponent was to John Huss, he felt like he had the victory. And so that's what he tried to do. Uh, the uh, uh, The debate happened, and uh, again at this time, Martin Luther had not fully embraced this idea of reformation. He was—he uh, talked about the abuses of the indulgences. He didn't say they weren't uh, to be respected and revered and honored. He just said that people like John Tetzel were abusing them and taking advantage of the people. And so he kind of made a compromise with uh, the church. And so uh, the heat kind of dialed down just a little bit for him but uh it came to the point though after this debate that he began to question some of the things that he had previously uh said uh was okay such as the indulgences such as the confessional uh, things like that so he began to question those and uh his conflict came to be something that by all standards, was a matter of life and death. The papal forces were now going after Martin Luther, and they wanted him silenced. And so they were willing to do anything that they could to silence him. Now, it didn't really work out like that, but uh, that uh, attack by the Catholic Church on the things on which Martin Luther stood pushed him to a point, we might say, of no return. He had to make a decision, and once he made that decision, there was no going back from that, because he had written prolifically, he had preached throughout the area, and he it was no secret that he stood in firm opposition to the teachings of the Catholic Church, including uh, the Pope being infallible. And so he began to open his eyes and to talk about those things. And so we talked about this papal bull that was uh, uh, written and, and about him. And a papal bull was simply a document that declared something. Of course, uh, Martin Luther was declared a heretic. No one could uh, uh, sucker him or give him help. No one could hide him. No one could support him, and by no means would you ever be allowed to stand up in agreement with him in a public fashion, denying anything about uh, the uh, uh, the pope. And of course, at this time, and we ended on this thought: Emperor Charles, the King of Spain, he was uh, Charles V. He was uh, declared king by the Pope over Germany and following that he opened his first German diet again a diet was simply an assembly or a formal deliberative assembly of people who made choices and decisions concerning the whole nation and so uh, they met at worms on uh, January the 22nd 1521 now ultimately the whole situation led to this diet of worms. All this, quote, problems, all these efforts that Martin Luther was doing in opposition of the Catholic Church, and they come to the decision they had to do something. He had to be uh, addressed. and uh, uh, But this idea of this diet of worms convening to declare uh, something about Martin Luther was in itself a problem for the Catholic Church because Martin Luther was a free German citizen, okay? And he was claiming, and rightly so, that he was being charged with something or accused of something without ever having the opportunity to defend himself. And, of course, that went uh, diametrically in opposition to what German law was. So now you've got the Pope on one hand, over in Rome, And now you have German citizenry who are being accused by Rome and and not even having the ability or the opportunity to defend themselves against any such charge. And of course, uh, he had already uh, been declared guilty by this papal bull. So nothing that he said was really going to matter anyway as far as the church would... uh, Uh, was concerned now again here's the issue what if the diet at worms corroborated in some way luther's uh, accusation against the church that he is being accused and he can't even defend himself he can't even respond to that well that's going to be a problem right and if they did that if they agreed with martin luther now here's what they're doing they are denying the infallibility of the Pope. And so these problems begin to, to rear their heads all over Europe. And little by little, the attention began to be turned toward the Catholic Church and these outlandish doctrines, these ridiculous requirements, and the, uh, in essence the illegality of the things they were doing was began uh, began to be looked at, we might say, under a microscope. So no longer was the actions of the church just accepted as, well, that's the church and, you know, the Pope is God's uh, Christ vicar on earth. In essence, he's deity. No longer were they looking at it like that. And ultimately what happened was, in worms, the diet of worms, the Pope was defeated. Because they declared that Martin Luther had not been given the opportunity to defend, them, defend himself against uh, accusation and attack by the uh, 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 by the Pope, he had to be able to be heard by the king, okay, and uh, uh, the uh, the empire, the German the German government, we might say. The, the empire, they would decide whether or not Martin Luther was guilty based on the charges and on his defense and not the Pope. And so uh, uh, the Diet, this assembly of people refused to abide by the edict that uh, Rome had handed down, meaning they're going to burn all the books that Martin had written. They're going to... Uh, uh, you know, try to hinder him in any way possible to prevent him from teaching. And not only did they say you can't burn his books, they uh, limited the ability to uh, uh, confiscate his writings. So they couldn't just gather them all up, take them out of the hands of the people. That was limited in some way. And so the Pope was defeated in this. And so... Uh, Finally, he was commanded, come stand before the Diet of Worms and we will guarantee your safe passage and and we're not going to allow something to happen to you in the process of you coming and presenting your case before uh, the uh, German Empire. Any comments, questions, anything? Okay. Uh, On his way to Worm, this city in Germany, Uh, as he traveled there and as he got closer, these disputes began to really rage and began to pop up. There are all kinds of support for uh, uh, Martin Luther in opposition to the Catholic Church. So all these things are beginning to happen. And great crowds of people began to amass believing that Martin Luther had been mistreated and that uh, they believed that he was in fact going to his death because after all, you couldn't trust the empire. You certainly couldn't trust the Roman government. And then, so they began to meet in honor of him as he was headed toward what they presume, presumed was his death. And so on April the 16th of that year, Luther entered into the city of worms accompanied by 2,000 people a much larger crowd than when the emperor had entered Worms upon his being established king by the pope. And so that in itself was kind of a slap in the face perceived by the uh, the empire of Germany. And so uh, anyway, he stood before the assembly to defend himself. And as he stood before that body, as he presented himself, uh, he was commanded... Don't speak unless you're spoken to. If someone asks you a question, you answer it truthfully and succinctly. Don't go on a diatribe. don't don't add in a whole lot of extra information, you know. It's kind of like the question, you know, have you quit beating your wife?" That's yes or no. Don't add any context to it. You know, you can't say, "Well, I've never beat my wife. This is a yes or no answer, right? Do you still beat your wife? Well, no. Wait a minute, yeah, I've never, you know, so they've got you. So they instructed him, you simply answer the question, you be truthful. So they tried to handcuff Martin Luther as he stood before them and defended what his teaching was. But really, in essence, it was just an empty gathering. It didn't mean anything because the uh, uh, punishment had already been decided by Rome. They had already decided what they were going to do to Martin Luther. He was going to be banned. He was going to be excommunicated. He was going to be labeled a heretic. Uh, in essence, wherever he was, people were to hunt and find him and locate him and bring him in ultimately, hopefully, in their minds, ending in his execution. And now, no more problem for the Roman uh, uh, papacy, papacy. Of course, you know, that wouldn't have stopped anything. Uh, Martin Luther was just one. He was one of many that we come to find out a little bit later on. And so, uh, as he stood there, they began to question him. Asked him about the books he had written. Did you write these books? Uh, the emperor wants to know this is a yes or a no. Okay, he wrote the books. He, he's not going to deny that. Well, are you willing to recant what's in the book? Well, Upon being asked this, uh, Luther asked for uh, what we might say a long recess. He said, look, I have to be able to deliberate. I have to be able to consider these questions because I don't want to answer in any way that would harm the Word of God. Of course, that's not what John Eck or any of these other people wanted, any of his enemies didn't want him to have any any time to consider what was being said, didn't want him to give any context to the questions. They simply wanted him to answer a yes or a no, and really they wanted to haul him off and execute him. But the emperor said, we're going to give you some information. We're going to give you some time to look over your information, consider the questions, and we're going to meet back here tomorrow. And that's what happened so he was allowed some time and uh as he was answering these questions concerning his writings he divided his books into about three different categories okay the first category he uh uh divided his books into was uh a category of uh edification for for uh, the believers he had a certain amount of books he had written for edification. The enemies couldn't say anything about that. In fact, they said those might even be helpful. Okay? Those might even be helpful. So we're not going to uh, uh, consider those. They're harmless. Uh, the second class of books were those that he deemed, uh, his writings deemed uh, harmful laws and doctrines that came from the Pope. Now, what are the people going to say about that? They couldn't deny that the Catholic doctrine tortured the conscience of uh, the people. You know, uh, that's why they were selling the indulgences. They were they were making money on the fact that people feel guilt, or at least normal people feel guilt. People who uh, desire to do the things God has asked them to do. They feel guilt. Their conscience bothers them. So no one could deny that. That absolutely was the case. Uh, Also, who can deny that the church tyrannically devoured the properties of people, in essence, stole money from them? No one could deny that. They may not want to admit it, but... It's hard to stand up and deny that. And so, he said, I can't recant that. can't recant edification. I can't recant the truths that everybody knows to be the truth about the things the Catholic Church are doing and the things in which they are engaged. And so, that brought him to the third division. In the third place, he had written against the persons who defend and sanction that tyranny and since those books concerned the doctrine of Christ he said well I can't recant those either and so now they've come to a, uh, a standstill now remember they weren't really wanting to have uh, some kind of a, a debate in this scenario they weren't wanting to uh, uh, have an issue and in fact he said if you can show me where I have written error based on the, the Holy Scripture, he said, not only will I recant, I'll throw them in the fire with my own hands. What are they going to do? Could they show him where he had written error concerning edification? Well, I think everybody understands <laughs> edification is necessary. Could he, uh, be shown the error from the bible that the pope is not infallible that it is against god's law to steal from your fellow man and make merchandise of religion can't show him from the word of god that could they show him from the word of god that those who support tyranny and sanction it are not also just as guilty oh of course they couldn't defend that with the word of god in fact Uh, Paul spoke directly to that, didn't he, in Romans 1 verse 32? And so, they're at this standstill. And, uh, uh, you know, again, if he could be shown to have erred in the fact also that he pointed out, the Pope and the councils, they contradict each other all the time. And we, and we support one and we don't even consider and, the Pope says do this. Well, this regional church over here says do that, and so they're happy. They still honor the Pope. He said, "Hey, that's not, that's not something that you find in the Holy Scripture." And so, if you show me how I'm wrong about that, I'll recant. I'll throw the books in the fire myself. They couldn't do it. They could, of course, they didn't care to, uh, to do that. They didn't want that. They simply wanted Luther to shut up. They wanted him to be quiet. Quit making problems for the church and the people. They had a good thing going there. They were making tons of money. They were selling these indulgences wholesale. And, uh, you know, everybody went home happy. Or so, that's what the Roman Catholic Church wanted the people to believe. But nobody went home happy. Nobody did, except the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. The, the, the regular people, the common folks, they were tortured spiritually and physically. And so they were in opposition to this. So, the result was the ban was placed against him, an imperial ban. And so uh, he was charged with heresy, he was excommunicated. If anyone found him, they were to drag him into the authorities so he could be killed. Anyone who's harboring him, he'll be dragged in. They'll be guilty of the same things. And so, as a result of this ban, uh, he uh, was, uh, his family and his friends feared for his life. And of course, what's Martin Luther going to do? Well, Martin Luther was not the kind of individual just to go find somewhere to hide. He remained in the public the ban was virtually impossible to uphold because he had so many supporters and so many people that he had opened their eyes to the problem of the Catholic Church that they would not in any way uh, haul him before the magistrates, so to speak. But on one occasion... Uh, not too long after the imperial ban was enacted, uh, Martin Luther and uh, at least two of his friends were traveling through the countryside, and all of a sudden, they were pounced upon by a group of men. And of course, the friends, one fled for his life, the other one uh, went to try to to find some kind of a help, and of course, by the time they got back, Martin Luther has gone. And so automatically they think, oh no, he's been killed. He's been captured. They're they're following through with this imperial band to, uh, to haul him in so that he can go to his death. But in reality what was happening was the people who, quote, kidnapped Martin Luther were really supporters of his. And they were sent to find Martin Luther by a man by the name of Frederick. He was an elector, Elector Frederick. He was uh, held some kind of a political position. <clears throat> he had a certain amount of power. And uh, he was taken to Wartburg from Wittenberg as a way to protect him from the Roman church and those who supported the Roman church. And so... Uh, he spent the next ten months there. Uh, he uh, took off his uh, uh, monkish robes. He wa- began to wear the, uh, the ro- uh, garments of the common people, let his beard grow out. And uh, he began to be known as uh, Junker George. Junker George. Now, I don't know how they came up with that name. But at any rate... He kind of just blended in, took on this uh, uh, other identity. And uh, for ten months, he continued to write and to translate the New Testament into German and Latin. And so he was free to do what he wanted to do. And of course... uh, I don't know if it was last time or time before, Brother Sam had it, it brought up the fact, you know, how were these people supported? Well, that was one way in which they were supported. They had friends who would, would uh, get offer them room and board, would allow them to do their work, and uh, they didn't have to worry about their safety. So, because of all of that happening, and because of all the support from the common people, he began to think that now might be the time for the Reformation to be attempted. This is really the first time that he began to think about actually reforming the Catholic Church, which, you know, was some good insight into what he was seeing. he noticed and he recognized, along with the people, we've got a big problem here with the Catholic Church. They're not doing what they say they're doing. They're not following after God's laws. They're following after what they want to do. And so the wheels began to turn. And uh, Martin Luther was right in the center of it. Though, we're going to find out, he wasn't in the center of it willingly. He spoke one thing. He wrote one thing. But that's about all Martin Luther was doing at that time. And really, all that he did do. So when we think of Martin Luther as this great reformer, and and I think we owe him a debt of gratitude. He wasn't a mover or a shaker. He was an idea man. Which, really, ultimately, was all that the common people needed was someone to put this idea in their minds encourage them and demonstrate to them, based on biblical principle, how the Catholic Church was wrong, and they took it from there. And I think we owe them a great debt of gratitude as well. Any comments, questions? But as we see what Martin Luther's doing here, we can see some great problems too, can't we, in, in his concept of what's right and what's wrong. Uh, I think we see that a lot in the world today. People will claim a belief, but a lot of people don't follow through with their actions, do they? They claim Christ. They claim to uh, be, quote, Christians. But what do their actions show? Their actions say, well, I can't tell any difference between you and, and anyone else in the world who, you know, who doesn't claim to be a Christian. And so that's kind of where Martin Luther was sitting at this point in history in the 1500s. Yes? You had the Pope. You had bishops. The bishops were the ones who uh, were... Yeah, in essence, it was a political party within the Catholic Church because they held all kinds of power. Now remember, who chose George V to be king in Germany? The Pope did, right? And, uh, you know, a while back we talked about the Pope said that uh, the king is to the Pope what the moon is to the sun. So the king was secondary, right? The Pope held the political power, and so he tried to put into place people who would be, uh, you know, on his side in these political debates. So he didn't want to rock the boat because it's a, it's a money venture. Well, it just evolved over time. It evolved over time. And when we were talking about the following away, and we go back and we look at Paul making that statement, he said, from within you, speaking to the elders in Ephesus, from within the eldership, you're going to have these men who are going to be like wolves in sheep's clothing. And so over time, they began to politicize the church and give more power to certain individuals. For instance, uh, you know, we would mentioned about uh, an eldership meeting, okay, and someone would chair the meeting. And that happens today, and that's fine. If someone needs to chair the meeting. Uh, we do that here at White Oak. We have men's business meeting. We have someone who chairs the meeting so that everything's done in order. Well, over time, that person began became, became the permanent guy that always chaired the meeting in and of itself. That's okay. But then, as time progressed, he became uh, known as the bishop. And all the other elders were just simply elders. See, they were making a difference. So within the the uh, uh, congregation, they began to politicize and give one person power. Well, that was happening in all these congregations who were falling away. And so they decided, well, within these congregations, let's choose one of the bishops to kind of oversee the whole thing, you know, in our area. So he might be over several congregations. Again, over time, what happens? Well, you've got how many ever bishops, and they say, well, let's choose one guy out of these bishops to be the head guy. And that's how, it basically, of course, you know, there was years and circumstance, but that's basically how it happened. That's how he gained his power. And it was just simply a process of... of just doing what mom and dad did, what grandpa did, just uh, listening to what someone said. The, the, The priest will tell you what you need to know. You don't have to worry about looking in the Bible. And over time, that just developed into this hierarchy of the Catholic Church. And it is powerful today. It's powerful today. The Pope has one billion followers. He controls a seventh of the population. That's amazing, isn't it? That's a lot of power. He has his own state within Rome. It's a sovereign state. The Vatican, Vatican City is a sovereign state. You know, he he, uh, he gets on the news and he talks about our president wanting to build a wall along the southern border and how inhumane that is. There's not a bigger, stronger wall anywhere in the world than around Vatican City. They don't want anybody coming in, Right? But he can say something about other nations trying to do the same thing. So he's hypocritical from the word go, but that's, that's kind of where this power came from. And they wanted to hang on to it. And, and Martin Luther's making some waves. He's causing some problems. They don't like that. In fact, the Pope wanted him dead. The Pope wanted him dead. That's why he produced that papal bull, that uh, imperial ban... It demanded his death. The people wouldn't go along with it, though. And it's hard for a handful of government officials to do something that the masses refuse to do. It's just not going to happen. And uh, so that's where they found themselves at that time. The, the Catholic Church is wholly corrupt. The Pope is wholly corrupt. Wholly corrupt. And... Um, so, uh, we see from what's happening to Martin Luther, these new ideas began to erupt into the minds of people. They began to listen to what Martin Luther was talking about. You know, he was talking about, uh, the, quote, sacrament. You know, they, uh, give the people the, uh, the bread, the priest drank the wine. Talking about just mass in general, okay. Uh it's not right talking about uh the the idea of the power the pope has talking about the confessional so they began to think about all these things and they began to kind of twirl around in their minds and so it began to take a foothold among the people in fact yeah brother joe Yes. It was uh yeah, it was it was the king who had been appointed by the pope formed his first diet, okay? Prior to that, but anyway, ultimately they ended up at the diet of Worms and there were in the diet could assemble in various cities, okay? And so he chose the emperor chose who would be on that council or that assembly of people. And they made decisions based on uh, what uh, they perceived as law, and ultimately the emperor obviously those were his guys, right? He he could say whether he agreed with that or not, but that's who it was, was the 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 uh, officials of the of the uh, German Empire, in essence, is what it was. So they they were given that power by the uh, by the emperor. Good comment. Anything else? Yeah, brother Ron. Uh, not that I know of. That doesn't mean, and I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were. Uh, you know, they might have just gone by the name Christian, you know, uh, the church or anything like that, but uh, we don't have necessarily a record of, uh, of that at this time. Now, when we get into this restoration movement, what we will learn is throughout Europe and this country, Congregations of the Lord's people were located and they were doing this idea of going back to the Bible, kind of all of it happening at the same time, kind of like the Reformation movement. It was happening in, you know, throughout Europe and apart and separate from each other, you know. Something was happening over here. you know, maybe a small area of a particular nation that that uh, didn't have a whole lot of interaction with everybody else, but they could see there was a problem. So the seeds of reformation were happening in these various locations at, uh, throughout Europe at this time, and and we'll see the same thing during the Restoration Movement. So, uh, you know, do I believe there was no congregation of the Lord's people? Well, I don't personally believe that. It could have been, but you know. The church will never be destroyed though, but it might be in seed form, right? It might be in seed form. And so, uh, I think there were probably faithful people throughout the world, uh, in various locations. Maybe, you know, just cause we don't know about them doesn't mean that they didn't exist. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. And Charles makes a point, you know, at this time we've got printing presses, right? They're printing Bibles. And, you know, Tyndale's printing Bibles. Wycliffe's printing Bibles. And and they're going throughout and, you know... Who's to say that someone in Switzerland or Germany or France or whatever, they were going all through Europe, doesn't get a copy of that Bible and sits down and begins to read it. You know, they might not even necessarily have a connection with any kind of a religion. And they begin to read this and, you know, he tells his neighbor, hey, look what I'm learning here. And so you may have a congregation of the Lord's people meets in so-and-so's house and there may be... Five or ten or twenty or how many ever, a hundred people in the community to get together because they haven't gotten the Word of God. And just like Charles said, what's the Pope going to do with that? He's far-reaching. He's powerful. He's not that powerful. He's not going to uh, get over on God, is he? Because God, through His providence, has preserved for us His Word. And, uh, you know, so people were, were getting a hold of that. And who's to say that someone who knew Latin didn't become disillusioned with what they saw in the Catholic Church and began to read to other people what, what he read out of the Latin Bible and began to teach people that way. I've done that myself. You know, had someone translate for me as I read from the new testament in english and they translated it into another language who say that didn't happen uh not, not during this time that I'm aware of. Now, obviously, we have uh, uh, some secular writings talking about the the immediate disciples of the apostles, and the and the, the, the statement is: Do we have any, any information about what's going on in this time with uh, Christians preaching and teaching and things like that? We don't have that that I'm aware of. But uh, and again, we have some secular information about uh, what you know the apostles and maybe their direct disciples were doing okay polycarp we have different people like that that's this is hundreds and hundreds of years prior to this but that doesn't mean it wasn't happening and i believe it was happening i believe it was happening you know people uh the ethiopian eunuch went back to africa with the gospel right uh You know, they're not going to shut him down completely, you know, because I think God's providence took care of that. Now, we also have to understand at this time, this was a very dangerous time to buck up against the Catholic Church. They slaughtered people wholesale. The, the peasants' war that took place in, uh, uh, Germany was the uprising of the peasants. Uh, They just couldn't get together and form a good organization, and so the government just slaughtered hundreds of thousands of them because they were bucking up on this Catholic system. So we have to remember that, too. Uh, A lot of people would have gone underground, right? They wouldn't have necessarily been publicly teaching the Bible. Now, they would have been doing it privately with people, right? We read about uh, in the first century when the brethren would meet in the catacombs, right? The the underground tunnels where they would bury people. They would hide out and they would meet down there. That didn't mean they weren't preaching the gospel or that they were ashamed of the gospel. They were doing it privately. They just weren't standing publicly like the apostles did in uh, the first century because things began to be so dangerous that they just couldn't do it. And so they had to go, uh, go about other means, you know, Years ago, we were getting Bibles into Russia. We were getting Bibles into China, but we weren't announcing publicly we were doing that because it would have been dangerous for the people there. They would have killed them. They would have killed them. And so, uh, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of information about that. But it's, you know, we can understand why because they weren't necessarily uh, advertising what they were doing. Good comments. Any, any anything else? You any know. Huh? You can still visit the catacombs over there, that's right. And, uh, that's where they were going and they were, they were congregating as the Lord's people and they were worshiping God the way that He was demanded. But as far as, uh, the Jews and the Roman Empire was concerned, they didn't know nothing, they didn't know anything about it. In which that's kind of smart, isn't it? I mean, you don't want to, uh, uh, take yourself out of a position to be able to teach someone the gospel right? So they did it privately. And we read about that in in Acts chapter 2. They went from house to house, right? And they would have continued to have uh, done that. And uh, we studied the revelation. That's what they were doing during the time of Domitian, the emperor of Rome. They, They didn't stop, but they were just a little more careful about how they went about doing it, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, that doesn't mean they were ashamed of Christianity or ashamed of God or that they were cowards. doesn't mean that at all. It means they were brave and they went about it the smartest way they could go about it to ensure that the gospel remained being taught throughout the world. But again, let's say there were no churches during this period of time of this Reformation. Everybody had fallen away. I don't think that's the case, but that doesn't, harmed the word of God because the church was still in existence in seed form the word of God the seed is the word of God and the word of God is the power of God unto salvation and it is the word of God that produces Christians so the church never has never ceased to exist now I believe there were still Christians in the world personally that's just my opinion good comment anything else All righty, we will pick up here, not Sunday, but the following Sunday, I will be absent. All right, thank you so much.